Hey, what's up, world? I am your host, Armand Lee, and thank you so much for once again tuning in to The Quarterly Report. On this week's show, we'll be joined by special guest, Miss Breon Page. She's going to stop by to talk about just how good Carson Wentz is and if the Kansas City Chiefs are the best team in the AFC. Also, everybody has made a top 20 best, you know, Southern hip-hop album. Most notably, The Ringer did so not too long ago. I wasn't really satisfied with their list, so I took it upon myself to give you all my own top 20 hip-hop, Southern hip-hop albums. You're not going to want to miss that. All that and so much more, but first, the number one story this week. First quarter. What the hell is going on in Phoenix? <laughs> first off, you know, before we get to the Suns, may I just point out that there is no other league other than the NBA in which in its opening week, both the Phoenix Suns and Patrick Beverly can dominate a new cycle, right? No disrespect to Patrick Beverly, and we're going to talk to him later, talk about him later in the show. But he had a, a full new cycle about Patrick Beverly. You know, most sports fans will not be able to point out Patrick Beverly. And again, I'm a fan. I like Patrick Beverly. But the fact that he was able to dominate you know, a sports cycle, not because of his play per se, but because of who he defended and then his remarks after the game. But then you got the Phoenix Suns just days later. The Phoenix Suns, the only people who've been able to make the Suns relevant, right, nationally, are Steve Nash, Charles Barkley, and a damn gorilla. You know what I'm saying? That's it. <laughs> but the Suns, you know what I'm saying? On an NFL Sunday, really, they were able to take center stage just off of their sheer incompetence and stupidity. And I loved every second of it. For those of you who are not aware, when, what was it, Sunday? Eric Bledsoe, he's their highest paid player. Uh, their best player, I guess you would, would say. Um. He sends a, a fairly cryptic tweet, but sends out a tweet where he says, I don't want to be here. <laughs> okay. Y'all know how NBA Twitter is. If you don't just, just go on Twitter, follow, you know, fans of the NBA, writers of the NBA, and just sit back and enjoy. Cause if you are a fan of the NBA and you're on Twitter, you already know it's like a special place. Twitter and the NBA go hand in hand, but Bledsoe fires off this tweet. Everybody goes crazy because everyone assumes, and I mean, correctly so, that he's unhappy in Phoenix and he wants to go. Moments after Eric Bledsoe sends off that tweet, DeAndre Jordan, who's had his own history with Twitter in the social media world, right? Sends out a tweet, cryptic as it may seem. He didn't, you know, it wasn't a re reply. It was a subtweet. Like, come on home, bro. For those of you who don't know, Eric Bledsoe was drafted by the Clippers. He played his first few years of the season with the Clippers or first few years of his career with the Clippers. So, you know, again, Eric Bledsoe, good NBA player, you know, not not a great player, but good. Not as great as he once was. He, he hasn't really kind of his trajectory hasn't really reached what we thought when he first came into the league. DeAndre Jordan is an elite player. But as a niche player, you know, not a superstar by any means, but this got NBA Twitter going crazy. And what did the Suns do? 
The Suns fired their head coach three games into the season. And the only thing you could deduce, right, in terms of the firing, because, again, it's three games into the season, they fired him because of the tweet. That's the only, that's the logical, you know, step to make, right? That's the that's the that's the only way anyone could assess all that went on on Sunday and come with any type of reasonable conclusion. Because they fired him after all of this. And this caused a, a like uh, a whirlwind of just reaction, not just on social media, but in the NBA world, right? Because again, this is Phoenix's best player. And it's important to remember how Phoenix as an organization got here because no, and look, listen, I'm a Nick fan. So I know firsthand trash organizations. I know firsthand better than most. Okay. I am a Nick fan. And for the last, for 10 of the last 11 years of my life, I covered the burgundy and gold in the NFL. So I know really poorly run organizations. And this is the sons to the T you understand it's important to remember about four, four years ago, four or five seasons ago, four seasons, the Suns had Isaiah Thomas on the contract that he's currently on now. So an extremely team friendly deal. They had Gordon Dragic and they had Eric Bledsoe. They had Jeff Hornacek as their coach. And look, don't get me started on Hornacek. If I ran across Jeff Hornacek right now in an alley, I'm at least, I may not steal him in his mouth, but he going to get one of them UFC knees to the rib cage. I can't stand that Bama. Shout out to Willie Hernan Gomez. Free Willie. I'm sorry. That's my Nick. My Nick rant for the show. That's it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that anymore. No more Nick's talk. I promise. But Jeff Hornacek was in Phoenix. And I want to say they won like 47, 48 wins. Maybe not 48, but 47, 46 wins. And they missed the playoffs, but like a game or so, but they were a young team. They were one of these, up-and-coming teams that went with the three-guard lineup, right? They had a three small guards, and it worked. They they ran up and down the floor. They were fun to watch. They were they were exciting, and they played a style of basketball that you're seeing more and more teams incorporate, right? A small lineup with a lot of ball handlers, a lot of shooters, and who could just run up and down the floor. So they had the foundation of something. Again, Eric Bledsoe, Gordon Dragic, and Isaiah Thomas. Yes, the Isaiah Thomas who was second team all NBA last year. So the year after they win 47 or so wins and just barely missed the playoffs in the Western Conference, they fired their head coach, Jeff Hornacek, and then they traded Isaiah Thomas and Gordon Dragic on the same day. On the same day. And they didn't Obviously, they didn't get anything. Then they gave Brandon Knight. I mean, it was it was just so it was crazy. They they gave Tyson Chandler a big time contract. They went after Lamarcus Aldridge. They did. They just made all these moves that didn't really make any sense, you know. And here they are, a few years later. They traded Isaiah Thomas for some change. We all know who got the best of that deal. I mean, think about it. They could have, you know. Obviously, Isaiah Thomas wouldn't have been the player because of the opportunity and Jeff Hornacek is not Brad Stevens, but Isaiah Thomas was flipped in part for Kyrie Irving. I don't even know what Phoenix got for Isaiah Thomas. And again, his deal was amazing. They traded Gordon Dragic for a pick. 
from the Heat. The Heat are never awful, so they're not getting a top pick, you know. And now, just a few years later, the last guy from that team, that triple-headed monster of guards, the last guy that they had there, Eric Bledsoe, is now tweeting his displeasure in Phoenix. They fired their new head coach, Eric Earl Watson, I'm sorry, three games into the season, and everybody coming into this year knew Phoenix, they, they didn't have talent like that. It's a youth movement, right? So wins really shouldn't be their major concern. The concern should be developing their young players. But Eric Bledsoe fires off this tweet. They fire the head coach. So then the next day, right? This all happened on a Sunday. The next day, that Monday, you hear from the team president. He talked to, they had a meeting with Bledsoe. And Eric Bledsoe tells these Bamas that he wasn't talking about playing the Phoenix. He was in a hair salon. And the tweet was about him not wanting to be in the hair salon anymore. <laughs> you feel me? I was like, yo, man, Eric Bledsoe, sit your ass down, bro. But I can't even, I mean, he deserves an angry man. No doubt. But then Phoenix, the president's like, man, you know what? He told me that. And I was like, you know what? Go home, Eric. You're not going to be a part of our future anymore. Tells Eric Bledsoe this. And then tells the media he told him that. So on one hand, I want to salute the president for being like, yo, you going to really just tell me something stupid like that in my face? Go ahead, go home. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to be playing for us. But the Bama does so in front of the entire world. He's got cameras. He's been interviewed. There's more attention on the Suns on Monday than there have been in the last five years. So when he tells the world that he told Eric Bledsoe to go home, he's not going to be a part of his future, what does that do to Eric Bledsoe's trade value? Of course it sinks it. So now everybody is sending them their worst possible packages for Eric Bledsoe, a good player, right? He's got his issues, but he's good. He's a good player. But now they, they know they can't move him for anything but trash because he has no value because the president told the world that he's not a part of their future. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, there's only one league in which a team that poorly run can be this entertaining. The Phoenix Suns bring no value on the floor. None. But all of this that just happened on a random Sunday is why, one of the many reasons why I love the NBA. There's also one of the many reasons. Adam Silver talks all the time about how he's looking to, like, you know, these European soccer leagues and how to, you know, and how to run the NBA. Here's an idea. Relegation. Right? Relegate the Phoenix Suns. The Bamas suck. I mean, the best thing about the Suns this year is the fact that their best player tweeted that he didn't want to be there anymore. And then when asked by the president what he meant, he said he was in a salon. Eric Blesso couldn't even stand up to the president. It was like, yo, I don't want to be on this team anymore. <laughs> oh, man. So if you haven't figured it out yet, this segment is absolutely an angry man segment because not just to Eric Bledsoe, not just to Earl Watson, not just to the president of the Phoenix Suns, but to that whole damn organization. You know what I'm saying? Why does Phoenix have a basketball team anyway? For real Phoenix. And it's 300 degrees outside every day. The Bombers ain't playing basketball. Oh, the Suns, get your stuff together. Slim 
What are y'all doing? Angry man, highlight the Phoenix Suns for me real quick. Man, sit your ass down. Suns, sit all y'all asses down. <laughs> for real, all the way down. All right, y'all, that was fun. That was the first quarter this week. I don't know what the hell's going on in Phoenix. I don't even know what the hell's going on with the show right now, man. But I like the way we started. If you like the way we started, make sure you follow us on Twitter. We're at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. And also, subscribe to the podcast. All you got to do is go to iTunes. Go to the podcast directory. Search the Quarterly Report. Again, it's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. You'll see the show icon. Click on that. Subscribe it. Rate and review the show and tell your friends about the podcast as well, man. I really appreciate all the listeners. We're growing each week, man. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate y'all, how much love y'all giving me. Thank you so much. All right, man, we're going to get all the pleasantries out the way. That was basketball. Second quarter is up next, and we're going to football for this week, specifically the Super Bowl. It's our second topic this week. I am convinced that the NFL is just trolling all of us at this point. Let me give you a little insight to what I'm thinking. In case you've been living under a rock, right, it has been reported and confirmed that for this year's Super Bowl, Justin Timberlake will be performing at the halftime. You know, uh, I don't got a problem with Justin Timberlake. You know what I'm saying? He's got some songs that, you know, I really like. You understand that whole sexy back joint with him and Timberland? That joint rocked. That whole CD was cool. You know what I'm saying? So, shout out to Justin Timberlake. But of course... When you hear that Justin Timberlake is performing at halftime of the Super Bowl, no one's thinking about his music. You know what I'm saying? Everybody initially goes back to 2004 where Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson were performing at the halftime of the Super Bowl. You know, he says, you know, I have you naked by the end of this song. He rips the little, the little part covering Janet Jackson's, you know, chest area on her dress. And, you know, her breasts show, she got the, the little nipple ring, and everybody goes crazy, right? And that that's how the performance ends. And, you know, Janet Jackson has essentially been blackballed ever since. So, two things. Number one, I am shocked that there are many people who feel like Janet Jackson had no part in that. Like, there, I have met several people. And have seen more online who feel like that wasn't like a rehearsed bit. Like that wasn't planned. You know, that it was just a coincidence that, you know, when Justice Timberlake says that line, he rips, he pulls something on Janet Jackson's dress. You know, that Janet Jackson has some dress that's easily removable. And that she has this nipple ring covering up, you know what I'm saying, her breasts. There are people I have met and talked to who feel like that is all coincidence. And that Janet Jackson... Like, that wasn't planned between her and Justin Timberlake. So, first off, y'all Bama's crazy. Of course, they both were in on it. But number two, what what is the NFL thinking, right? Again, I got no problem with Justin Timberlake. You understand what I'm saying? But with all the things that have been going on in the NFL the last, you know, year to two years, they think this is, like this, remember a few weeks ago I was talking about just take the easy win. You know what I'm saying? Don't make it harder on yourself. This is precisely what I'm talking about. Number one, does Justin Timberlake even have new music out? 
Now, I'm sure that he'll probably be coming out with something after the Super Bowl. But, like, if you wanted Justin Timberlake to perform, he's had, like, what, three albums come out since then? Something like that, right? Like, why is that? Why is it now the time to have him out here? You know what I'm saying? It just doesn't make any sense on any level because now you boxed him in a court. Like, again, I got no sympathy for Justin Timberlake. You know what I'm saying? When you look at what happened with his career, it, like, blew up. Like, he, this is a man, right, ripping. We talking about Janet Jackson. Janet Jackson, yes. That Jackson from that Jackson family. Janet Jackson been doing entertainment her whole life. Her whole life. And they they got her about the paint real quick. Whereas Justin Timberlake, his career is descended. You understand what I'm saying? Y'all remember the Super Bowl? It happened. Then a few days later, it was the, either the Emmys or the Oscars. Justin Timberlake got up out there and was gave this apology and talked about how, you know, he didn't want to do it and all this other stuff. Had the little crocodile tears, the whole puppy dog eyes. And he had a, he had a one little Mia Coppola. And then Justin Timberlake's on movies. His career's jumping. You know what I'm saying? He working with Timberlake the whole nine, right? Janet Jackson can't even get on a daytime talk show. Janet Jackson had to do two movies with Tyler Perry. You feel me? We talking about Janet Jackson, bro. <laughs> now, some of it could just be, you know, in entertainment, it's tougher on women, especially as they get older, right? Like, look at the older women who are, like, making moves. Like, you, you'll you hear women say this all the time. Like, it's tougher for women. Like, as men age, they get more, you know, they get more jobs. It's considered to be, like, you know, regal almost. Whereas when women age, it's tough, man. The industry chews them up and spits them out. So some of that could be that. And I'm not knocking Justin Timberlake as a performer, as an entertainer. Again, I like some of his songs. But the overwhelming, like, come on, you're not going to insult our intelligence. The overwhelming reason why Janet Jackson was completely got, got the stiff arm is because of the Super Bowl. We all know this. And when you see how Justin Timberlake has ascended from the same moment, it just leaves everybody with like, come on, bro, this is kind of weird. You know what I'm saying? But it reminds me from Justin Timberlake's perspective because he's in a no-win situation, right? If he performs and doesn't have Janet Jackson come on outstage with him, right? He going to get all types of hell. Let me tell you something. That's, I'm, here's the thing. I'm 100% confident that Janet Jackson will perform with Justin Timberlake in the upcoming Super Bowl. Because if he doesn't bring her out, look, there are a lot of folk. There are a lot of, like, yo, we ride with Justin Timberlake. You understand? You can sing. You got nice songs. You can dance. We got no problem with Justin Timberlake, you know? We got no problem with him, despite what happened at the Super Bowl. But if he doesn't bring Janet Jackson out, let me tell you something. A large portion of his fan base, yes, us, you know, the black fan base, we he's going to feel the wrath. So I know he's going to bring her out there, right? It's not a surprise. But because we all know and expect and want him to do so, it's like, man, is this genuine? So he brings her out, and they're like, okay, but it'll never be good enough because we'll, people will then look back at it and be like, yo, you really messed this woman's career up. You know, Janet Jackson is a legend, Joe. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to 
the velvet rope. Man. Boy, Janet Jackson. Slim, we ain't gonna go. But you know, Janet Jackson, man, she a legend. And it got me thinking, because it reminds me of the 2003 NBA All-Star game. Uh, and I'll try to refresh your guys' memory. Remember, this was Michael Jordan's last year in the NBA, okay? He was playing with the Wizards. It was the second year in the Wizards. Remember when he retired the second time, he was still young. And, you know, he was just unhappy with Chicago and management. So while we kind of knew it was going to happen, it wasn't really, like, certain. But this time it was certain. He was 40. Everybody knew this was Michael Jordan's, you know, swan song. So the All-Star game happens, and a funny thing happens, right? The fans vote for Vince Carter. He was the number one vote-getter in the Eastern Conference, even though he was hurt for most of the year. Now, it's important to remember, this is one of the reasons why I can never really trust sports writers. I got several friends who are sports writers. But sports writers, they've got a, a certain... uh I don't know, narcissism about themselves, right? It's part of their job is to kind of assess what they feel is the pulse of the, the sports fan. So it's a very self-centered job in the first place. And these guys and gals, they, they, they run with it. And I will never forget the entire 2003 NBA All-Star game, like the lead up to it was like, oh my gosh, how could the fans not vote for Michael Jordan, Right. Now, the sports writers, they had their story already set. Michael Jordan's final hurrah. You know, they wanted to hear the ovation that Michael Jordan got as he caught, had his name called out as a starter. That was part of the narrative that they wanted to continue to push. But a funny thing happened. The fans were like, nah, we don't want to see Michael Jordan start. We want to see Vince Carter. And if you remember, it was the first time that writers really got mad at the fact that fans had a vote in the All-Star game. And now it's routine. Writers always say, how can the fans have a vote in the All-Star game? Yada, yada, yada. But that was the first time that fans caught heat from writers for having that power. But the point I want to make is Vince Carter, right? He was voted by the fans to start in the All-Star game. And after the writers finished shaking and wagging their fingers at the fans for getting it wrong and they shouldn't have the power to vote. They then turned their ire and they and they got mad at Vince Carter, almost saying, Vince, you should you should give your starting spot up to Michael Jordan. You should do it for the fans. The fans wanted to see, you know, Michael Jordan. And I remember I was I was a teenager at the time. And actually no, I was I'm sorry. I was probably I was 20. 20 at the time. And I remember thinking to myself, man, I wish I was Vince Carter. Because, you know, Vince, is a, he seems like a good dude, but he doesn't seem like a confrontational, like, man, F you, this is what I want to say type of guy, right? And I remember looking at the television, thinking to myself, damn, Vince, when they say that stupid stuff, say, if, they, if the fans wanted Michael Jordan to start, they would have voted for his ass. But they didn't. They voted for me. But Vince never really took it like that. So long story short, Vince Carter ends up buckling to the pressure and he gave his starting spot up to Michael Jordan. But the media was pressuring him. This is how crazy the early 2000s are. Isaiah Thomas was the, the East All-Star head coach. Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas who got beef with Michael Jordan for real. 
And the reports were one day during practice, after practice was done, all the East All-Stars came in the huddle. And Isaiah Thomas, in front of the team, looked at Vince and said, Vince, what are you going to do? You need to give up your starting spot to Mike. And if you don't, I'm going to have you start, and you're going to play for five minutes, and you're not going to play the rest of the game. I'm like, what? And this is kind of the parallel I'm trying to make with Justin Timberlake. Vince, at that point, had to give up the spot to Michael Jordan, right? Because if he didn't, he was going to face real consequences. But the problem was it wasn't a win-win. It was a lose-lose for him because him giving the spot up to Michael Jordan, it didn't seem like it was genuine, right? Even if he wanted to. And the reports were that Jordan would talk to Vince. It's like, look, man, the fans want to see you play. MJ told Vince straight up, don't give me your starting spot. But at that point, Vince had no choice. And that's kind of what I'm seeing with Justin Timberlake in the Super Bowl. He's got no choice. If he doesn't, if he doesn't let bring Janet Jackson on to the stage during that halftime, he is going to catch holy hell, Slim. I am not sizing it. They are coming at his neck. So even if he does bring her out, everybody's questioning, man. Well, you, you done, you know, she been, she took this L for over a decade and you've been living life. You all over the place. So then you start questioning his motives. It's a tough spot for Justin Timberlake. But again, I got no sympathy for him. In fact, what I have, I'm just shaking my head at the NFL thinking like, man, what y'all doing? You know what I'm saying? Again, if you wanted to give Justin Timberlake a Super Bowl halftime, 2017 isn't the year to do it, right? What music does he have out? Why not three years ago? Or like you said, like eight, nine years ago when the Sexy Back Jank came out. That would have been the time to do it. What has Justin Timberlake done to 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 earn a halftime Super Bowl spot now? You know, it's pandering. You try when you try to appease everybody and please everyone, you end up pissing everybody else off or pissing everybody off. Excuse me, and that's exact exactly what the NFL is doing right now. And they and and they got Justin Timberlake as collateral damage. But let me tell you this. Justin, I know you ain't listening to me, but if you can hear this, if somebody passes this to you, if you can hear the sound of my voice, Slim, don't try it. Bring Janet on. Let her do two songs. You don't sing with her. You just stay your ass in the back and then let her do her thing and then go ahead and close the show. Because if you don't, Slim, they are coming for you. All right, y'all. Y'all heard the horn. That is halftime. We'll get to halftime in a second, but before we do, make sure you follow us on Twitter. We're at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. Also, we're on SoundCloud now. So if you want to hear the, the podcast and you're a SoundCloud listener, you're in luck. All you have to do is search the Quarterly Report, and you'll be able to listen to the podcast whenever you want there. Or if you rather listen to it on iTunes, you, you can subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. All you got to do is search for The Quarterly Report. Again, that's spelled Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. See the icon, click on it, and subscribe and rate and review the show. All right, guys. Earlier in the show, I talked about how the NBA is the only league that can somehow promote the Phoenix Suns and Patrick Beverly. I promise you, man. I've done a lot of thinking on this. 
as someone who grew up a fan of wrestling, I understand now why I love and have such a connection with the NBA. It's because the NBA is the WWF. It's the same thing. And I have evidence to support it. Now, again, y'all may be listening and think, Armand, what the hell are you talking about? Basketball and professional wrestling, they're too different. They're not even close to being the same. And I understand on, like, the overall point. But I'm talking about in terms of characters. I'm going to play you three different bites from three different personalities from the NBA. But I'm going to enhance them in a way that will make you think, it is really just a wrestling character doing a promo. Seriously, three different characters, real life quotes from the NBA, just with some little production value to enhance it. And you tell me, let me know if you don't think this sounds exactly like their wrestling counterparts. Take a listen. Welcome to WrestleMania. We are moments away from the main event a triple threat match between Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, and Shawn Michaels. Let's hear from the contestants prior to their showdown, starting with the Texas Rattlesnake. I just have to set the tone, man. Yeah, I, just, I told him about the game, man, due to, you know, all the riffraff you know, his dad brings that uh, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna get a lot of people coming at him. You know, he has to be ready for that, and I let him know after the game, but, you know. What a better way to start with Mr. 94 feet guarding than I, you know, is... Man, I'm going to I'm not done. Welcome to the little young guys at NBA. Strong words from Stone Cold. Let's hear what The Rock has to say in response. If you smell what The Rock is cooking. He's always going to have a bad rap. You know why? Because I'm talking so bad about him. His lines are so good, you can't touch him. But everybody want to quiet me up. Why you worried about me? I'm sitting in the stands while my son is whooping that tail. But see, this is what it is. When you're making this money, which the NBA got to do, it's better to say Lonzo versus another point guard than Phoenix versus the Lakers, because that's just Phoenix and the Lakers. Mm -hmm. But when you start matching him up with all these guards and who, what guard he playing next, everybody want to see what guard going to get the best of him. Tell Patrick Beverly that was his last interview for the year, so don't worry about it. Finally, the leader of D-Generation X has a few choice words for everyone. Are you ready? Bow to the masters. Break it down! Alright, you've heard the competitors. It's time now for the main event. Is there any doubt that if like, if you were to, like, you know, try to correlate NBA players and personalities to their wrestling counterparts, that LeVar Ball would be the rock? All he does is talk stuff. That's all he does. But that giant... Look, man, I'm not going to talk about LeVar Ball anymore. I've done it two times, maybe three times in the past, but it feels like it's the same stuff, right? We, we go over it over and over again. You can get mad at LeVar for a lot of things. I'm not going to defend everything that man has done. Some of the, the things he said about Lonzo's teammates in UCLA was stupid. Things, uh, I guess, about uh, Leangelo, uh, what, what they did with uh, the high school coach, the old high school coach at Chino Hills. You know, he said he's done a lot of stuff that, you know, you can't defend. 
However, you gotta you gotta ask yourself this one question. How interested were you in the Lakers last season or any season in which the Lakers aren't a championship contender? You know what I mean? So subtract the Magic and Kareem years, subtract the Kobe and Shaq years or the Kobe and Powell years. Whenever the Lakers aren't a championship contender, measure your interest in them compared to then and now. And I would say the only reason that there is an interest and a heightened sense of intrigue regarding the Lakers is not Lonzo because we all know Lonzo is good but you know he's a rookie there's going to be ups and downs and we don't know how good he will be the interest comes with his dad you know what I'm saying LeVar Ball is the rock he's just he's an amazing talker you know what I'm saying that's what he is he talks stuff to everybody it doesn't matter you know he talks stuff to the Wizards <laughs> I'm like what, what is he thinking right except for I'm going to generate a buzz. I'm going to take heat off my boy, at least from the press. The problem is, like Patrick Beverly said, Lonzo, we're going to find out about Lonzo this year because he's going to get heat every single game. Every single game they come at Lonzo. And it's because of his daddy. But Lonzo is also going to get attention off the court, get dollars off the court, right? And if if he plays well, if he succeeds, he's going to get – probably way more credit, you know, than he deserves because again, his daddy. So it's a, you know, it's a catch 22, you know what I mean? But without a doubt, there is a direct correlation between the NBA and wrestling. And that's why I love wrestling. So, or the NBA so much, because these guys are allowed to have personalities, all of them, all of them. All right, guys, that was halftime. I hope you guys enjoyed that. But You know, the first two quarters are over and done with. We're going to make our in-game adjustments and try to finish up strong, starting with the third quarter and my special guest this week, Ms. Breon Page. She is a sports and lifestyle blogger and a former professional volleyball player. Let's welcome in Ms. Breon Page to the quarterly report. Breon, thanks for joining me this week. Hey, how's it going, Armand? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I can't complain at all. Thank you for joining me, and uh, let's get right to it. Uh, you and I both are in the D.C. area, and we are just a few days removed from the uh, impressive victory by the Philadelphia Eagles over the uh, Burgundy and Gold. And um, it's fair to say that the entire sports world is in uh, a complete awe of Carson Wentz, right? Um, there's no doubt that at the almost halfway point of the season, he's probably the MVP. And I got to tell you, I am shocked. I did not think he was this good. Uh, Last week, I was throwing praise at him on this show, and now I've got even more. And it seems like everyone, everyone in the entire sports world is heaping praise on Carson Wentz. Did you see this coming from Wentz? I mean, considering that he was a Division II athlete and this is only his second year, uh, what are your thoughts on Wentz, and do you have him as your almost mid-season MVP. You know what? It's funny because I actually forgot how young he was until yesterday. Because yeah. he has been playing like such a mature, you know, player who's just been out there for years. He's comfortable. He's confident. You know, all these things that you see in, you know, the Bradys and the right. Wilsons and the Newtons. So, you know, this guy, you know, he's, he's amongst one of the greats. He can be 
an MVP candidate 100%. 100%. Once again, I'm joined by Brian Page. She's a sports and lifestyle blogger, former professional volleyball player. Make sure you follow her on Twitter. She's at Brian. It's B-R-I-E-O-N, Page, P-A-I-G-E. All right, Brian. So we talked about Wentz. Obviously, the Eagles are looking like the class of the NFC right now. But let's switch over to the AFC. And the team that's near and dear to your heart, I think it's fair to say, right, that you are a bit of a uh, Chiefs fanatic. If you look at your uh, timeline on uh, Twitter, there's a lot of uh, passion, if you will, for the Kansas City Chiefs. So we're a few weeks removed from Kansas City being the talk of the town. You know, Alex Smith is playing by far his best season. He was considered an MVP candidate just a few weeks ago, probably still is in the conversation, obviously. Um, but you guys have hit a bit of a rough stretch. Um, talk to me about your Chiefs and how they still stack up in a crowded AFC. Yeah. Well, as far as you know, Alex Smith goes, Wentz was definitely giving him a run for his <laughs> title yesterday, last night. Um, so, but, you know, I, in my opinion, I believe the Chiefs, you know, will come out on top. Yeah, we suffered, you know, two game losses in a row. But – you know, we were playing against the Steelers. They always play better against good teams um, than we go on the road for a divisional. But we, we, I believe we still can be Super Bowl contenders. Here's the thing. Yes, my confidence is still pretty high. Yeah, just like other teams, we have some things we need to work on. With the Chiefs, our defense needs to step up. We've allowed, especially the last few games, I think, you know, almost 1,000 yards of total offense in the past two losses. And, of course, you know, losing Barry – early in the season has affected us, our past, you know, and our run defense. So I just don't think we have enough depth in our secondary, kind of like the Redskins. Right. <laughs> but, you right. know, we also have guys like Hunt, who, you know, is breaking all types of records and playing, you know, like he's a vet, and Hill, who's super explosive and fast as lightning. I think his Twitter handle is, like, faster than a cheetah or something like that. So, <laughs> have guys that are just, you know, young guys who are stepping up. And, of course, you know, our tight end, Travis Kelsey, um, I just feel like he's playing way more mature and confident this year. And so it's nice. I, I, think, we'll be, I think we'll be fine. Once again, I'm joined by Brian Page. He's a former professional volleyball player, a sports and lifestyle blogger. Make sure you follow her on Twitter. She's at Brian Page. That's B-R-I-E-O-N-P-A-I-G-E. All right, Brian. so this will be my last question to you. Earlier in the show, I talked about how the NFL, um, maybe they're trolling some of their fans, but Justin Timberlake, of all years, this is the year that Justin Timberlake has been um, named the Super Bowl halftime performer. Um, obviously, when you hear Justin Timberlake in Super Bowl halftime, everyone instantly thinks of Janet Jackson. So do you think just uh, Justin Timberlake should bring out Janet Jackson? Do you think he will? And do you think the NFL is just trolling some of their fans with this move? I mean, it's funny because I was actually talking to a couple people about this last night. And the first thing that people think of, the Janet Jackson scandal. That's the first thing. But I, you know what? I am a huge JT fan. So in my eyes, Justin Timberlake can do no wrong. <laughs> if he wants to bring Janet Jackson, if he wants to bring a band, like, I am here all for it. The same thing does not happen again. That happened years ago. Yes. But you know what? 
bring Janet, bring whoever you want. Like I said, JT is my guy, and I'm excited to see him perform. Well, there you have it. It's all about Justin Timberlake for Breonna Page. That's it for the Super Bowl. It's all good. Once again, that's my guest, Breonna Page. She's a former professional volleyball player, sports and lifestyle blogger. Follow her on Twitter. She's at Breonna Page. Breonna, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Thanks for having me. No problem, Breonna. It's my pleasure. Thank you for joining me. All right, guys. So, We ended the third quarter talking about all the controversy swirling around Justin Timberlake and his upcoming Super Bowl halftime performance. But I'm going to stay with the music theme for our fourth and final quarter because I'm going to do something that has been done countless times in the past. However, I'm going to do this only because I feel like there's been one critical, crucial snub when talking about the top 20 Southern rap albums of all time i'm going to fix the list i'm going to give you my list for our fourth and final quarter fourth quarter about i don't know let's say two months ago or so the ringer you know a really fun publication you know bill simmons and a lot of really really talented writers and sports analysts they came up i think it was shay serrano who headed this particular list but you know uh, they came up with a top 20, you know, Southern hip-hop albums list, right? And, you know, a lot of people felt felt some type of way after seeing the list. And, you know, no disrespect to anybody, you know what I mean? Because making a list of anything is tough because, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of content, you know what I mean? And then putting it in an order. So no disrespect to anybody at The Ringer. You know what I mean? Shout out to The Ringer because I I really enjoy what they do. But, you know, I saw the list and I was like, okay, well, you know, I don't agree. They got got some right, you know what I'm saying? But overall, I didn't agree. But instead of just complaining and, you know, being like a lot of people are nowadays, just getting on their computer and, you know, being an asshole, I was like, you know what, this is a fun topic. Let me go ahead and try to come up with my own list. Now, I wasn't doing this with the intent of actually making it into a quarter for the show. I just wanted to do it to kind of see how I would, you know, how I would place things in order and which albums I would use. So this then became kind of like a passion product for me because I just couldn't stop thinking about it. So in researching and then so then I found out that. Not only is this not anything that's new or revolutionary, that almost every single person (laughs) with any type of sports and rap ties together have made similar lists. So I understand that, no, this is not original overall. However, and I will stake this claim for why my list is special and original, right? Out of all the lists that I saw, there was one album that means so much to me, right? So much to me, man. A classic that kept on being snubbed on everyone's list that I saw. I, I mean, I'm talking about so many different publications will have their top 20 or top 25 best or most influential Southern hip-hop albums, right? And this particular album that I have was never there. So we'll get to that, and I'll, and I'll give a, a rather lengthy kind of... Um, I don't know, summary of that album, why I love it so much. But without any further ado, I'm going to give you 
my, the quarterly reports, top 20 Southern rap albums of all time. Okay. Now, this is tough. Now, there are some, some rules that you have to know before I start my list. Okay. The first rule is I do not have any Ghetto Boys albums on here. Not because the Ghetto Boys aren't dope or revolutionary. It's tough for me to rank Ghetto Boys albums, right? There are three that are really, really tough. That I have them up there. And then I was thinking, man, you know, unlike some of the older Southern rap albums that, you know, I kind of could feel and grow with, the Ghetto Boys happened when I was a kid. I mean, I remember one time my mom went to Sam Goody and bought a, a Ghetto Boys tape. You know what I mean? So I didn't really, I don't know. I respect the music and I love the music. Don't get me wrong. And don't, don't trip. Scarface is still like clearly, you know, represented in my list, right? But it was hard for me to pick one or two Ghetto Boy albums to kind of distinct, like separated themselves from the rest to put on this list. So there are no Ghetto Boys albums on this list. It's not a disrespect to them. It's just me as just a regular guy, not a music critic. It was tough for me to find a place to represent all that they have done. Second, and another very important rule on this list, you can only have two you know, entries, right? One act, one group can only be represented twice. That's the maximum number of albums that one group, one act can have. And that's basically because Scarface and Outkast, between just the two of them, or the three of them, excuse me, they'd have half of the list, you know what I'm saying? Or close to it. And that's not really what I wanted to do. You know what I'm saying? Y'all know if you listen to the show, y'all know I love Outkast. Y'all know I love Scarface. So two maxed albums per, you know, act. Okay. So those are the two rules. So without any further ado, drum roll, please. Number 20 on my list of top 20 Southern rap albums is Kings of Crump. Now, you know, this may have been their most popular album, and it was dope. Uh, you know, I think it was, I think it was Bomani may have wrote something once, and he was like, you know, you respect artists who, you know, stay true to their core and are authentic, and are authentic to themselves, but then still try to kind of try new things and push the boundaries. And that's kind of what I feel about Kings of Crump. You know what I'm saying? Like, Kings of Crump, I think of it more like the Chappelle Show season two. You know what I'm saying? Really, really great, right? Memorable uh, pieces of work. And they kind of stamp, they have a stamp on like a period of time in my memory. But just like season two of the Chappelle Show, Kings of Crump over time makes me appreciate its predecessor even more. You know what I mean? Like Kings of Crump was dope. It's got probably the hardest first song on an album ever with um, Throw It Up. Y'all know what the time it is. Pastor Troy, you know, Lil John, Eastside Boys was the hardest, the hardest Lil John song ever. So number 20 is absolutely Kings of Crunk. Lil John will be represented again later on in this list. So we're going to keep the thing moving. 19, the lone entry from Ludacris, Chicken and Beer. That's by far my favorite Ludacris album. Ludacris was spitting on this joint. And the best thing about this album to me is there was really no single. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, sometimes you hear an album 
And you're like, okay, that's the song that they want to be the the main single. Well, with Ludacris in this album, he was he had so much juice at this time, he was just trying new things out and just spitting. And although they were able to make singles by remixing certain songs, and then they had the uncut, you know, pee popping joint, the album was super just different. And he was spitting. The music was nice, and I just really enjoyed it. I think it's by far Ludacris's best work. 18, I got a little bit of a story for this. Life or Death, See Murder. Like, to me, I couldn't make a list without a No Limit album. And to me, by far the best No Limit record was See Murder's joint. See Murder was clearly hard as all hell. And he's still serving time. And a little bit of a story for this. I remember vividly the summer I heard this joint. You know, I, I'm not from D.C. and Maryland, so... I would come and visit my family because all my family is from D.C. And I remember coming over and visiting. I was out in Portland at the time and visiting my cousin, Sadiq. You know, y'all know Deke. He's on every month. And me and Deke and another one of our cousins at the time, we spent so much time together that summer. I had so much fun. And, like, life or death was, like, all Deke played that summer. You know what I'm saying? I feel like that must have been the year he got his license or whatever because he was driving his places. And, man, I listened to that joint all the time. And I love that so much, partly because of the music, but partly because, again, I remember that summer so vividly. You know what I'm saying? And it's also the first time I really got to listen to Soldier Slim. And if y'all heard the album, y'all know On The Run, he killed that joint, man. He killed it. Life or Death, Sea Murder, easily my 18th entry. I'm going to keep things moving. Number 17, Soul Food, Goody Mob. I mean, come on, man. You know, you hear it. They got their own distinct style. And, you know, I don't really have to say too much about there. 16, we going with Young Jeezy, Thug Motivation 101. Jeezy had a run, man. He had a run, and it started with Thug Motivation 101. Ain't really much you can say about that joint. I mean, like, it was classic. You know what I mean? And Jeezy kind of just carved his own niche, did did it his own way but still was able to be kind of vivid with his lyrics, you know, and the beats matched. And it was fun, but it was still dope, you know. Going to keep things moving with the Carter number two. A little bit of controversy here. Again, I talked about the Carter and the Carter two before in past episodes. The Carter two was dope, but the Carter two is not Lil Wayne's best album, okay. And the Carter two, you know, is cool, and I think 15 is a nice little spot for it, okay. Uh... Wayne was spitting on the Carter too, but musically it just didn't mesh to me. It was a nice meet, it was a nice pairing, but it wasn't it wasn't going hard like the first one. Okay, and you know we gonna get to the first one later on. Fourteen, and this is this is one that I don't know, man. I feel like Bama sleep on this so much. Deliverance, Bubba Sparks, you know I feel for Bubba, man. Like, look, okay. When you think of white rappers, obviously you go to Eminem first. And I'm not trying to say that Bubba is better than Eminem, you know. And it's a bit unfair because both M and Bubba can spit. They just are so different, you know. But because they're both the white rappers, we lump them in together. And I feel, unfortunately for Bubba, he got overshadowed by M and all that was going on with M. But I will say this. Deliverance is better than any Eminem album, in my opinion including the Marshall Mathers and LP. And so many people sleep on Deliverance. Like, 
that joint was so that joint is perfect, man. I love that album so much. And I, most people only think of it, oh, that's the song from the Madden, you know, I forget which Madden it was, but Bubba had a song that was on the Madden soundtrack, right? But that whole album, Deliverance, rides so hard. Lyrics, beats, the whole nine, puts together perfectly. Deliverance is number 14. 13. I want to say so far, only a few of these albums were on the Ringers list too, by the way. And like, all of these joints are dope. So I don't know how they didn't make, like to me, I think all of these are like universally loved. You may not agree with the order, but so far I haven't taken a misstep, right? So we're going to keep the beat moving. Number 13, The Minstrel Show, Little Brother. I was late to Little Brother, right? This was their second album, I want to say. But it got a lot of buzz because obviously the name before the album even dropped. And then you had Bama's talking about they was going to resign and quit certain publications because it didn't get a rating that they wanted. Whatever. Once I heard it, I mean, come on, man. I mean, what can you really say? This joint is so dope. It was the first time. Again, I thought this was their first joint, but it, was, it wasn't. But Ninth Wonder, we all know about his beats, Fonte. Consp- I mean, the whole thing. We know how how unfortunately things ended with them, but the menstrual show was super dope. Number 12, Jake, that's so near and dear to my heart, man. Come on, baby. Y'all know I'm from Virginia. Y'all know I wasn't going to have something without the clips. Lord willing. Some of y'all balance may act like, you know, that's not really a Southern rap joint, but you listen to Lord winning or you listen to the clips, period. Tell me they're not completely heavily influenced by face. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's no denying that they are like almost like kin. You know what I'm saying? Like, they are direct descendants of the foundation that Scarface laid. I could talk about Laura Wellen all day. But as someone who was born in Virginia, I can't tell you how proud of this record I am, man. They had not one but two songs where they have Virginia all up and down the chorus. You know, and I wasn't living in Virginia when this album came out, but I could just imagine how proud everybody was back home riding around with this in their car, blasting it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the, 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 Laura Willen, I love, it's one of my favorite CDs of all time. It's not good enough to crack the top 10 of this list, but in terms of my favorites, it absolutely is. All right, we're going to keep on moving. Number 11, the second Little John injury, put your hood up. I mean, we talking classic, man. That thing go hard as hell. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing much you can say. Little John put the whole thing on. That's that's really what got him started nationally. He was already doing his own thing, making some noise. But Put Your Hood Up album, absolutely a classic. Now we get into the top 10. Number 10, Trap Music, T.I. Come on, man. You know, something that still that ages well. Not too many albums let alone rap not too many albums period age well trap music still goes hard number nine ball and g coming out hard need not say more you know they i fought because they they could have easily had two in the top 20 as well 20 was kind of hard for me but uh if there was a 20 top 21 ball and g would have had to eight the fix the first of two entries from scarface in my opinion, it's Face's second best album. Some people think The Fix is the first. Some people think it's the third. It really just goes to show you just how dope of a rapper Scarface is. 
Here we go with number eight. I'm sorry, number seven. Number seven. And this is essentially the reason why I made this list. Because no matter where I went, and so many people had top 20, top 25 Southern hip hop album lists. And, you know, I wasn't even going to do it except for the fact that this album is never mentioned. And I'm talking about Face Off. You can't tell me. You can't make a top 20 list and not have Troy on there. I'm sorry. You can't. It's not possible. And look, man, I know. I know I'm a bit of a Pastor Troy. You may want to. Back in the day, I may have been a Pastor Troy stand. Whatever. I don't know, man. But Troy was my guy, dog. I love Pastor Troy. And with Troy, you know, think about it like this. Face Off had no more playing GA, vice versa, and List the City. And those three songs, classics, on the same record, and they're not even the best song. Come on, bro. Like, Old Father, I can still, I still listen to Old Father regularly. You know what I mean? I love that song so much. There's no way, no how, you could give me 20 Southern rap albums that are better than Face Off. You could disagree with 19 of these albums. 19. But if you say anything crazy about Face Off, you and I are going to have to scrap. <laughs> Those are the rules, baby. Pastor Troy is absolutely going to be on my list. I wanted to have him hired just because I rock with Troy. But number seven, Face Off. And I really don't even think that you could have a list without it. All right? Number six. Now, the rest of these, you probably can guess how we're going to move for the next six. Number six, Southern Playlist at Cadillac Music Cast. Need I say more? Obviously, they're going to be on the list again. Uh, Southern Playlist. So, such a dope, just a dope record, man. Like, musically, they rapping. And then, a greater appreciation for Outkast as a group. You listen to Southern Playlist, and then you just listen to their catalog. None of their music sounds the same. You know what I mean? But it's still unique, and it's still them, and it's still dope. And not too many musicians who could do that. And Southern Playlistic, their very first record, it's classic. Need I say more? But it doesn't crack the top five. So here are my top five. Number five, 400 Degrees, Juvenile, Cash Money. It was the thing that set it off. I remember when the first time I heard Hi, I was like, man, what the hell is this? I saw the video. I was even more confused. And then... I don't know what happened. And you want to talk about a run. You, This is when, like, producers really started making waves. Who had a better run than Manny Fresh? Thinking about the joints that he put out from the late 90s to the early 2000s. Like, back to back to back. So, 400 Degrees, classic. I mean, changed, changed music for real. Number four, another Cash Money record. The best Cash Money album of all time. The best Lil Wayne album of all time. The very first The Carter album. I already talked about it. Don't at me. The Carter one is better than The Carter 2. I've seen some of y'all emails. I've seen some of y'all tweets. I'm not going back and forth with y'all all the time. The Carter one is the better album. Number three, Diary by Scarface. You know, again, Scarface got classics. More than three. I couldn't get, I couldn't get obviously, three on there. But to me, Diary and The Fix are his best, too. But, Mr. I mean, Mr. Scarface, he's got so many. Um, I understand the debate, but to me, the diary is the best one. Number two, y'all know what two and one are going to be. It's just a matter of which order I'm going to put it. But for me, number two is Riding Dirty. It's a perfect album, man. 
I mean, it just is perfect. And if you want to tell me that Ryan and Dirty is the number one album, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with you. You know what I'm saying? Because those boys were going, man. They were spitting. They were, they had already, they had already, Pac Full of Stones had already come out. They had already shown us that they were dope. But then they just hit it out the park, Grand Slam with Ride and Dirty, man. And it's, again, an album that just ages perfectly. You know what I mean? Sunday afternoon, fall day, nice breeze. You put Ride and Dirty on, man, and you just, you just winning. You feel good. You know what I'm saying? And of course, the number one Southern hip hop album of all time. It's Equimini. It's my favorite record of all time. Outkast, Andre 3000 is my favorite rapper of all time. I don't care what none of y'all Bama say. You listen you listen to Equimini and you just listen to what they, they talking about. And they both spitting. And I feel bad for Big Boy because, you know, I, I thought Big Boy had ATLians, you know. Not to say that Andre wasn't nice, but Big Boy was spitting super hard. But, man, it was like, man, Andre hit the mushroom from like Mario. We get to do it. And he been on some other stuff ever since, man. And again, you listen to Equimini now. Equimini came out in the 90s, bro. And like some of the stuff they talk about, it's just perfect, perfect music. And that's my perfect top 20 Southern rap list. I know some of y'all Bama's going to say something already. Again, let me be clear. You can say anything about this list. Anything with one exception. Don't come at me with face off, bro. Don't come at me with face off. P. Troy is on my list. P. Troy need to be on everybody's top 20 Southern list. But if you do want to debate me, make sure you tweet at me. We're at the quarterly show. That's quarterly show. Quarterly spelled Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. -E. You can email me. Email us. We're at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. You can also listen to the podcast on SoundCloud. All you got to do is go to SoundCloud and search the quarterly report and you'll find uh, the most recent episodes of the podcast. And of course, we're on iTunes as well. So many ways to listen, to interact and to engage with the show. All you got to do is go to iTunes, go to the podcast directory and search the quarterly report. Again, that's quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. Tell your friends, tell your family members if they like sports, if they like music, entertainment, whatever the case. I really appreciate all the love you guys have been sending me. But let all your friends and family know as well. The show is continually growing. And I really appreciate all the listeners to the show. Again, let me know your thoughts on this list. I already know some of y'all are going to have something smart to say. But again, don't come at me with face-off slander. I will not accept it. All right, y'all. I hope y'all have an amazing week, and I'll see y'all next Thursday. I'm Armand Lee, and this has been The Quarterly Report.